It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into the virtual bible study for february 21st we're glad you're a part of it tonight we hope that you'll Join in on the discussion. The ways you participate in the program tonight are by calling toll-free 877-381-4567 or by using your email and emailing us questions at collegeview.com. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, good to be with you, as always, on Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. We look forward to the discussion tonight, and we thank all of our listeners and hope that you'll participate. That's right. We have a special guest on the program tonight. Our guest on the virtual Bible study tonight is a prominent atheist activist who once was a preacher. He denounced his belief of God in 1984 and has since written a book entitled Losing Faith in Faith, From Preacher to Atheist. He is the current co-president of the Freedom from Religion Foundation and hosts a nationally syndicated talk radio program that promotes atheism on Air America called Free Thought Radio. He has appeared on The Phil Donahue Show, Oprah Winfrey, Hannity and Combs, Maury Povich, Good Morning America, Sally Jassy Raphael, The Tom Lankis Show, and tonight he's on The Virtual Bible Study. Dan Barker joins us on the phone tonight. Hello, Dan. Welcome to The Virtual Bible Study. Hi. Good evening. Thank you. Dan, we're glad that you're with us, and we appreciate you accepting our invitation to discuss what are obviously some differences. You have a you have a program that promotes atheism, and, and, of course, this program is the virtual Bible study, so obviously we're coming at this from different perspectives, and we want to investigate that. We think that those who are listening will be interested to hear the different points of view uh, as you coming from the standpoint of an atheist, and we, of course, being believers in God, and we want to examine that. So we got we got some things that we have thought about that might get to the heart of that issue. And so let me ask you to start out with it's it's pretty obvious that as we read your bio here that you've gone from being a religious person to to now a non-religious person. Um, and it almost seems now you correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but it almost seems if you're sort of anti-religious, um, you, you know, uh, as you look at your website, you see that, well, I think primarily anti-Christian is a lot of the stuff that we see there. But would you have the same sort of feelings, negative anti-feelings toward other religions, uh, Judaism, Buddhism, uh, Scientology, all of that sort of thing? Yes, of course, each of those religions has a different, unique history in the way it's treated rationality of human beings. But yes, uh, all religious claims, or I should say all supernatural claims, because there are some religions that are not supernatural. Buddhism is pretty much naturalistic. But all supernatural transcendent claims are not only irrational and maybe even delusional, but they're dangerous because they take our minds away from the real world. It's not to say that there are not some beautiful Buddhists and some wonderful Muslims and some very generous Jews and Christians in the world, of course, just like there are many atheists and agnostics. Every group has its cross-section. But on balance, 
if you take the good and the bad of any religion, and we happen to have to concentrate on Christianity in this country because it happens to be the current predominant religion. Uh, I do debate with Muslim scholars. I've debated, um, you know, rabbis, and, and I was on a panel with a Buddhist uh, two weeks ago in Brazil. So, but in the United States, we are forced to confront Christianity as the predominant cultural religion. Well, let me ask so, you, Dan. Let me ask you about this now. It's not just that you don't believe in God. You you actually take the standpoint. Let me read a quote from your website. It says most free thinkers, which and of course that's descriptive of yourself. Most free thinkers, as you would describe yourself, consider religion to be not only untrue but harmful. It has been used to justify war, slavery, sexism, racism, homophobia, mutilations, intolerance, and oppression of minorities. The totalitarianism of religion. Uh, of, of religious absolutes, rather, chokes progress. And so it's not your, it's not just your point of view that you personally don't believe. You think that it's, that you're sort of on a mission to, to coach others to the point of being atheist. Am I correct? Yes, because atheism is a good thing to have in the world. It's, it's like getting rid of a huge pet or getting a monkey off your back. Atheism doesn't make you uh, necessarily a better person. It just gets rid of the problem of religious irrationality and danger. I think there's no debate about the historical harms of religion, including Christianity. Uh, <clears throat> well, now, Dan, we would we would argue that there are certainly abuses to the belief in God, and we would, as you said, nobody could debate the fact that in the name of religion, atrocities have been committed. But the abuses are not the fault of the of the God that we believe in the Bible. We believe that men, fallible men, have mistakenly pursued agendas that God didn't want them to pursue. But on the other hand, you said atheism is a good thing, and I would challenge you to 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 explain how that in atheistic societies there have been some horrible abuses as well. For instance, uh, it's estimated that the communist Chinese have killed approximately 80 million people and in soviet russia more than 60 million people have been killed not in nazi germany 20 million people killed by the nazis now in in these cultures where atheism was the rule we see abuses there too yes we do we see either religious or non-religious people the problem is totalitarianism any there, there have been some horrible atheists in history. Stalin is one example. And by the way, Hitler's Nazi Germany was not atheistic. They had God is with us on their belts. Hitler invoked Jesus in the Bible and wanted creationism. Hitler was a member of a Christian church. He was not an atheist. But uh, in any event, yes, human beings of any persuasion, Buddhist or Christian uh, or, or atheistic, there have been people at the tail end of the horrible bell curve who have been embarrassments to to the world, but remember the totalitarianism uh, of Soviet communism, for example, was not so much anti-religious. In fact, they had religious freedom in Soviet Russia, and in fact, they even had a concordat with the church. And Stalin himself was seminary educated. It was not... There's not so much the religious beliefs. I've, I've been to Russia power. several times, Dan. I think that the that the Russians under communism would not agree with your fa- with your statement that they had a freedom of religion. There wasn't freedom of religion. Yes, they did have freedom of religion. It was in their constitution, although there were many abuses. Obviously. Well, Dan, the 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 point of the of the discussion is though because there are people who do terrible things in the name of atheism or in the name of of religion does not prove the fact 
that there is no God because you don't like what people who claim to be religious are doing. That's that does true. that does not prove the fact that there is no God. I agree with that. I agree with that. But, so so basically, we can't we can't conclude that belief in God is bad and the alternative is good when we can find abuses on both sides of that of that balance scale. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, of course. But what, but the difference is that religious people, Christians especially, make the claim that being religious makes you a better person, that being a follower of Jesus makes your culture, society, a better society. And you can point to direct examples. For example, Jesus, who said, who showed how compassionate he was by saying there are some slaves that you ought not to beat as hard as other slaves. He never once denounced slavery. Slavery was the status quo in his day. He used slavery in his parables. But wouldn't you and agree? It was, wouldn't, the but, Bible is it's not because people have misused Christianity. It's because they have used it correctly to endorse slavery. The Bible Jesus, is Jesus wasn't before. a social reformer, but he established moral principles that that led to the demise of slavery in 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 the cultures where his where his teachings uh, pervaded. Uh, no, words, he, he did not. He did not do that. There were other later Christians who were better than Jesus and smarter than Jesus, to their credit, like you two. You were smarter than Jesus and kinder and more moral than he was. Well, we disagree with that, perhaps more than the, your other statements so far. But let's uh, let's uh, continue the discussion. We're talking with Dan Barker, if you're just joining us. He is an atheist activist, has his own radio program on Air America, Free Thought Radio. If you'd like to talk with Dan Barker, the number to call is 877-381-4567. You can email your questions or comments to questions at collegeview.com. We're talking about uh, whether or not there is a God, and uh, we're looking at uh, religion, whether or not it is a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, let's get on to um, another uh, closely related question, though, Dan. If we say that there is no religion, there should be no religion, you're pushing for the freedom from religion. How do you define morality, then? What's your standard? Are we in a, a, a world full of anarchy where there is no standard, uh, then, if we have no religion? No. Without religion, we have a better foundation for morality than we do with religion, especially with Christianity. For example, and I do entire debates on this, and it takes two hours, and I can't say the whole thing tonight. But And I used to preach like you guys believe. I used to preach that without the moral absolutes of the Bible, we would all be wild animals with no curbing of our passions. But, for example, if the Bible is such a, a clear moral beacon, and even Paul said that God is not the author of confusion, you can't find a single moral issue that society is struggling with right now today that you won't find devout, Bible-believing, praying Christians on both sides of those issues. You name it. Birth control, abortion rights, gun control, uh, death with dignity, gay rights, you name it. The war, uh, stem cell research. There is no moral compass or no moral absolute within Christianity. The Bible is a moral grab bag. People pick what they want from it. Well, that's the problem. That is exactly the problem, people not taking the whole of God's Word and understanding well, for example, it. what does the Bible say about stem cell research? What does the Bible say about abortion? What does the Bible say about gay rights? Well, I can, if, Bible, if you take Bible those one at a time, I could them. try to, if you take those one at a time, I could try to answer. But let me, let me read to you a quote from your website, Dan. Uh, it says, there's no great mystery to morality. Most free thinkers employ the simple yardsticks of reason and kindness. As author Barbara Walker notes, quote, what is moral is simply what does not hurt others. Kindness sums up everything. Now, let me ask you, Dan, how do you know that that standard of morality, in other words, morality is simply what does not hurt others. How do you know that's correct and where did that come from? 
because that is the definition of the very concept of morality. When you talk about morality, we're not talking about following the dictates of a dictator. We're talking about avoiding harm. That's what you mean when you say moral, avoiding harm. In well, the world. that's and what so, well, I understand that, and, and, and I believe I'm taught that in the Bible from God. But wouldn't that rule, now let me, let me just pose a challenge to you, Dan. Wouldn't that rule, that concept of morality, conflict with, the principles of evolutionary progression. For instance, you know, evolutionary progression is natural selection, survival of the fittest. If I'm stronger than you, why shouldn't I kill you and take what's yours to benefit myself? That makes me stronger, makes me more able to survive, and I'm the stronger of the two. I mean, why? From 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 an atheist from an atheist perspective, why would I care? To take care of a of a of an invalid of a of a hurt person of a child born with a uh, deformity of a, of a retarded individual. Why would I care to care? I mean, there's no benefit, and and it actually hinders the progress of of evolution. Uh, where did this sense of morality come from? From whence is there the idea that I should do good and that I should help those who can't help themselves? That that. Well, First of all, you you are right. Evolution itself is not moral. Evolution is this blind, immoral thing. And we don't look to evolution for moral guidelines. Morality, by definition, means that we are rising above those instincts. However, a lot of research is being done, and a lot of wonderful altruistic research showing that we evolved with altruistic instincts because we are social animals. And there there seems to be morality within the chimpanzees and the baboons that we can find a basic naturalistic uh, justification for moral behavior. And for me, it's very simple. Uh, the, the God of the Bible is the opposite of morality. If morality means intending to act in ways that minimize harm, then we need reason, and like Barbara Walker said, we need reason and kindness, first of all, because moral dilemmas are not black and white. They're like a conflict of positive values. I mean, you're always going to have to cause some harm, but our intention is to minimize the amount of harm in the world. If, if that's your intention, you can be called a moral person. The way to know it is by examining, by studying, by learning, by using reason, by being as informed as you can about the consequences of your actions, not simply blindly following some list of commandments that well, some dictator tells you you have to follow. But my that argument to you, Dan, my argument to you is that if evolution is how we got to where we are, then we would never have evolved the sense of morality that you hold to. Your, That's not true. Your, your sense That's of morality. Have you, read, have you read Have you read Dawkins' The Selfish Gene? Have you read some of the evolutionary work on the evolution of naturalistic moral principles? No, I it, haven't. Very, very. For example, uh, you and I both know that genetically we're, we're passing on copies of our DNA to our offspring. We are more likely to care about our own children than we are others, and about our own nephews and nieces than about distant relatives. There's a, there's something built within our species an altruistic protection of our genetic offspring, which causes that mothering instinct, that fathering instinct, the, uh, the you know, the brother-sister thing. I can so understand that. I mean, the animal, the animal world evidence is a, a natural affection for their own offspring. But I'm, exactly. I, but you're, you're missing the point of my argument. My, the point of my argument is that not considering my own offspring, but those of others who are weak and infirm, there would be, without God, there's no... There's no legitimate reason for me to care for them. Of course there is. I mean, what a is, what is slam to those millions of us who are not believers, who do give to charity, who do care, who do 
sacrifice. Uh, well, I, I don't doubt that. I'm not doubting that there are good people. good it's not because of God. Kind, we're, we're rejecting God. They, it, I, God I would reason. submit it's because of the influence of God throughout the ages that well, even an atheist reason. understands that there's a need for goodness and kindness. That's what no, we but, but, but we say that, the, that God is a misplaced cause. We say the reasons are natural reasons why we would care for ourselves and our own and, by extension, other other members of our species, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a lack of morality to surrender your mind and your judgment to the whims of a dictator to tell you what's right or wrong. In fact, that's the opposite of morality. We're going to take and a look br- at the horrible things that have been done in the name of God. Because, well, but look at the horrible you know, things that have been done in the name of uh, in and by atheists. That doesn't that doesn't sur- doesn't prove the point. Dan. We're talking with Dan Barker. He is an atheist activist. Has his own talk radio program on Air America. We're going to take a short break and give you time to get in on the discussion. Email questions at collegeview.com or give us a call at eight seven seven three eight one. Four five six seven. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in a study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we will hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's word talk every Thursday night. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Dan Barker, an atheist activist who has a national radio program, Free Thought Radio on Air America. And uh, Dan, we're glad that you joined us tonight. And uh, really is an important discussion. You believe it's important because you want to get rid of religion. We believe it's important because uh, we believe that religion, if adhered to correctly makes the world a better place you believe it makes the world uh not a better place and so that is the crux of the argument tonight um you're um you say that uh that the principles of morality are inherent but how do we determine morality is it just up to the individual to determine what's right no um the question of morality is intending to act in ways that minimize harm so there can be an objective analysis of an action and the consequences to see if the, if harm was actually minimized as a result. If it wasn't, then we can say by definition that that was an immoral act. Uh, it, you can still be called a moral person if it's your intention to minimize harm and you make a mistake. Uh, you know, sometimes you might try to do something that results in more harm than you intended. So the responsibility that we have as moral human beings, and most of us are moral, is to inform ourselves to be as educated, to be as rational as we can about the actual consequences of our of our of our actions. Dan, so, who gets who gets to define harm? Well, uh, harm is a, a natural thing. Uh, harm is uh, cold or suffering or, or hunger or pain or whatever. I mean, 
obviously if I burn you with a cigarette, that's more harm than if I don't. And so often, often it's, it's never black and white. It's always a gray area. That's why morality is so tough. It's because it's situational. It's always a gray area. I think sometimes it's usually two positive values that compete with each other, which is the best course to take. So uh, morality isn't that tough a thing. It, it just each situation that you're in, you have to use your brain. Well, we believe we, we agree with that, but our real question to you, Dan, and I don't think that there's really an adequate answer, is without God, where did the sense of it come from? Where did the sense of morality, where did, in other words, it's certainly commendable, commendable to try and minimize harm to fellow human beings. Yeah, but how does God give the answer? I mean, what... We believe, what, he te- we believe his word teaches those principles. Yeah, but... but Millions of us don't believe that Bible. I used to believe it and preach it, but I'm convinced that I was building my house on the sand, just as you two. You think the Bible is some bedrock of knowledge. The Bible is unreliable. It is irrelevant. It is contradictory. It well, is unscientific. We're, it is dangerous. Well, we're and talking about God tonight. We could talk about the Bible in another meeting. Yeah, but, but wh- where do you get your idea of God? Where do you get your information about this God from? How well, do you know this God exists? One of the place, one of the way we well, one of the ways we know that He exists is by looking at the world around us. The, the fact that the world exists, we believe, is evidence for the that's God. right. We and, and then we believe the Bible identifies, gives us information from Him, but we believe that we can we can look to to His creation and know that there must be a God. Psalm nineteen yeah, verse one says, "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork." We believe we can look to His creation. Well, so you're, using, you're using the Bible then? No, I'm saying I can look to the I can look, and I want to move to this point of the discussion, Dan. I think we can look to the the fact that we are here, that the universe exists, and come to the conclusion there must be some superior force that caused it. I want to ask you. What you probably thought we would get to, and I think it is an important part of this discussion, is where, you know, how are we here? From whence did we come? Uh, how does the universe exist? What's your, what do you think about? It? Do well, you believe I, in I, eternal matter? By the way, well, I'll answer that, but first I want to point out that your show is called the Bible Study. So right. the Bible is relevant to this discussion, and the Bible does feed what you believe your God is. I mean, obviously you're not. Well, no, let me explain what I meant. I believe that I can, I I believe that to my my way of thinking, ration and logic says if I see all of creation, my conclusion from seeing it must be someone, something, some being, some force caused this to be. Now, the Bible, then when I open the Bible, I read about him and he tells me about himself, but I believe even without the Bible, logic and common sense would reason that there must be such a being. That's no, what I mean. That's what you think, but millions of us do not. Millions of us look at the same universe with the same natural eyes that you, and we come to the exact opposite conclusion. Because well, then, we how, then explain it to us. Where did, where did matter come from? Is it eternal? Well, um, no, matter is not eternal, but... Uh, well, where did it come from then? Because this got to be the this got to be the building. This has got to be the starting point, Dan. If, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Um, you're grasping for something that doesn't exist. Let me explain it in a, a different way to you. Suppose there is a God. He's up there or wherever or whatever, existing in this whatever realm this God exists in. This God is not nothing. This God is something. This God is an existing creature, being whatever, and. The same argument you made about the existence of creation pointing to some some creator above and beyond it, 
this God himself could point to himself and say, well, where did I come from? I, my existence can't just simply be. I'm, there must have been a creator who made well, me. What I'm it's arguing, Dino, no, you're, you're, you're assuming my position. My position is that we all believe in some uncaused first cause. No, we it, 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 it either, no, we don't. Either matter is the, the uncaused first cause and then things no, happen to the matter, or there's we a supreme being. That. Well, where did matter come from then? We don't all believe that. See, that's that's based on a the human mind evolved in a three-dimensional temporal way, and we can't help thinking that there was a point in time that began. But the universe is not like that. Well, what is it then? Has, is it, it any have a beginning? Is it an, is an eternal universe? Well, it, that's that's not even a, a good way to describe it because. Eternal implies time. It implies temporality. No, eternal implies no time. Eternal implies without beginning and without end. You wouldn't use the word eternal unless you had a concept of the passage of time. So we all know, if you study cosmology at all, that at the Big Bang of at least this current universe, that not only did matter and energy and space come into existence, but so did time come into existence. It is completely senseless to talk about what happened before time began, because time is also itself a byproduct of what happened at the Big Bang. So well, but of course, scientists, mind, not all scientists, I mean, the Big Bang theory is under serious attack, and, and, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of scientists are, are, uh, are doubting whether that's the right explanation. Who, Alan Gus? Well, who, several. Who, I, I, don't, I don't have Walter a list of names here. Well, but, what scientists are you referring to who is doubting? Well, I'm not, I don't have a list of names here, uh, Dan, but I'm just just from what I've read is that there's certainly not a un, unanimous opinion concerning. Of course not. I mean, that's that's very healthy, of course, that there's there's debate on this. But the point I'm trying to make is that uh, we human beings are trying to wrap. We lose Dan. Dan, we're, we're cosmology we that is bigger than that, and you're talking about a beginning in time as if it made some kind of a sense. And then forcing yourself to say, well, there must have been a creator to that. Well, that that's not how we look at the universe. That's, not, that's a very simplistic, primitive kind of parochial way of framing the way our universe Well, that's, that's, so, that's easy to say, but I'm still, I still put the challenge to you that there has to be some uncaused first cause. I believe that no. uncaused first cause is God. You believe it must be the universe itself. Well, but let, let me but take you away illogical. from that. Now. That, me, that is completely illogical to say an uncaused first cause, because then you're admitting that your argument is circular in the first place. You're bringing your conclusion into your argument. No, you're you're admitting, you're ultimately admitting, you're ultimately admitting that you believe that the universe always existed. But let me, let me take you a step away from that. Let's take, let's, let's, let's move away from that and let's, let's come one close, one step closer to where we are today, because that's the question, how we get to where we are today. Do you believe in the spontaneous generation of life from non-living matter, Dan? I wouldn't use that word. That, that's, a, that's a loaded way of saying it. Well, I, I believe that, life, that living organisms like you and me and plants and other things, living organisms are comprised of nothing special. The, the, the minerals, the elements that are within us are not animated. It is the organization of matter. There's no spontaneous generation of life, but it's the organization of matter. Well, can you take, can you take a, can, can you take a conglomeration of matter into the laboratory and make it into something that's alive? Yes. You can. That's been done. There uh, well, have been ca- that's not true. Been, carbon molecules have been produced uh, in the laboratory from, from non-organic material. 
But it's not alive. You can you can you can simulate the chemistry, but you can't make it alive. You can't make yeah, it a but, living, functioning but thing. The question, because what does the word alive mean? What does the word alive mean? Well, if it you can't answer it's... that, we've got a bigger question. We, we we understand what alive means. We can go, and that's that is very. It has it has Actually, life in no, it. No, we don't. Actually, is a virus alive? Do you think a virus is a living thing? I don't know. By, by definition, it's not. Well, but it reproduces. It feeds. It makes copies of itself. It feeds from its environment. Well, you know, there's, there's a certain level where we realize that the elements, or there's a certain line where, think, where we don't know if it's alive or not because it's the organization. Is a crystal alive? I think most of us would say a crystal is not alive, although it reproduces. Well, here's but the thing. We can, show, we can show how the organization of matter at, at a particular level might cross a threshold in our minds causes it to be considered a living thing, but there's nothing really animated in you. So you you're basically saying there's no difference between a living organism and, and non-living matter. Is that the position the you take? The difference is organizational. It's not in the context. Well, if that's the case, then we ought to be able to go into a laboratory and, and construct something with the same organization and therefore have it to be alive, but it's not doable. Yeah, yeah. It's not reproducible in a laboratory. Technically, we could, yes. And but technically, you say technically, but the best scientists in the best laboratory conditions have not been able to do that. On your there's, website, there's Dan. No reason, there's no reason why. It's our technology that's limiting us. There's no reason why that cannot be done. It's only because we don't have the technological skill yet. But Well, on uh, your website, here, Dan, on your website it said, truth is the degree to which a statement corresponds with reality. Reality is limited to that to which is directly perceivable through our natural senses or indirectly ascertained through the proper use of reason. You've, you, you have to take the view that what we call life, now we can debate the definition of that, but I think you and I understand what is alive. What we call life you have to take the position that that evolved from non-living matter. You have to take the position that that came from substance that was not, by definition, alive. And that is not something that you can perceive with your senses that can be reproduced in a laboratory or, or that can be ascertained through the use of reason. And, and therefore, it, is, it can't be a true thing. Yes, it can be, because reason can indirectly make a statement veridical, you know, falsifiable or true. Uh, what is the big problem with organic beings having evolved from non-organic origins? The food that you eat, the minerals that you eat, the, everything, there's nothing special in our bodies, nothing. It's the organization of it. There's nothing in your body that does not exist somewhere out, out in the universe. In fact, we are the stuff that we eat that's been processed through, through our environment, and, and we're replacing our bodies all the time. It's the, it's the way that it's, it's like a computer program is organized in a certain way so that it gives the illusion of being a kind of person in your brain as much as we like as much as i used to preach that we had some kind of a soul or specialness there's nothing special about it except in its wonderful organization through the long process of natural selection dan we are going a little longer than we wanted to can you stay through this break and uh, join us on the other side I can do that, yeah. Okay, we'll we'll be right back after this. Why don't you take a minute to give us an email, questions at collegeview.com, or get on the phone and give us a call at 877-381-4567. We'll be right back after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. 
This week we reference an article by an unknown author who tells of Sir Isaac Newton. Sir Isaac Newton had a friend who, like himself, was a great scientist, but the friend was an infidel while Newton was a believer, and they often discussed their views concerning God. Newton had a skillful mechanic make him a replica of our solar system. In the center was a large gilded ball representing the sun, and revolving in their proper order around this were small balls fixed on the ends of arms of varying lengths representing the planets. These balls were geared together by cogs and belts so that they moved in perfect harmony when turned by a crank. One day, as Newton sat reading in his study with his mechanism on a large table near him, his infidel friend stopped in. Stepping up to it, he slowly turned the crank and, with undisguised admiration, watched the heavenly bodies move in their relative speeds in their orbit. Standing off a few feet, he exclaimed, My, what an exquisite thing this is! Who made it? Without looking up from his book, Newton answered, Nobody. Quickly turning to Newton, the infidel said, Evidently, you did not understand my question. I ask you, who made this? Looking up now, Newton solemnly assured him that nobody made it, but that the aggregation of matter so much admired had just happened to assume the form it was in. The astonished infidel replied with some heat, You must think I'm a fool. Of course someone made it. He is a genius, and I'd like to know who he is. Now laying his book aside, Newton arose and put a hand on his friend's shoulder. This thing, he said, is but a puny imitation of a much grander system whose laws you know, and yet I'm not able to convince you that this mere toy is without either a designer or maker. Now tell me, by what sort of reasoning do you reach such an incongruous conclusion? The infidel was convinced and became a believer in God. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're talking with Dan Barker, an atheist activist, and he has joined us tonight graciously to talk about God and the existence of God. And so, Dan, thank you again for joining us. Uh, thank you for the invitation. Thanks, Dan. We got one more thing that we had hoped to be able to ask you about because I think you probably get a lot of questions about this. Uh, back in '96, uh, Michael Bay he wrote uh, the book Darwin's Black Box, and he he suggested something that uh, I, I th- I'd like to ask you about, and that is concerning the idea of uh, irreducible complexity. He said a single system composed of several well-matched interacting parts that contribute to the basic function, wherein the removal of any one of those parts causes the system to effectively cease functioning. That's what he meant by irreducible complexity. And the, and the example that's been offered is the, the idea of a human eye. For instance, why, why would, a, why would a, a living thing have some appendage that might eventually become an eye, but it's not an eye yet, and the, all the functioning parts aren't together yet to make it an eye, why would it continue to maintain that and continue to perfect that in the evolutionary process? Why wouldn't it just discard that appendage as a useless, uh, non-functioning thing? How, how, do you, how do you answer this challenge? I think, it's, I think it's posed the greatest challenge to the theory of evolution in, 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 the, in my remembrance. How do you answer this idea of irreducible complexity, that, that you can't break it down beyond a certain point, and therefore it makes the evolutionary process untenable? Well, if, you, if you'd read more than Behe's book, if you'd read many of the wonderful books that refute this new intelligent design creation, you'd see that, first of all, that Behe's very examples have been debunked. You see that during the Dover trial that he had a chance, and they had a chance to really make their case. And... Uh, even religious scientists have debunked his Darwin's Black Box and his, his books. 
his, there are no examples of irreducible complexity that cannot be explained in natural terms, first of all. And talking about the eye, the eye is probably the worst example you could give. The eye, uh, if you look across nature, you find at least 40 different ways that eyes have evolved, from very simple light-gathering pigmentations on a skin to more complex uh, eyes, to, to eyes with that. But the half there are there are creatures that have eyes that are half as good as yours and mine. Uh, you know, half an eye is about half as good, and if it if it confers any type of survival advantage in either avoiding a predator or in, in a, a finding food or finding a mate uh, or finding protection, then the half an eye is going to continue to exist within this creature because those that don't have it are going to are not going to survive and pass on the genes. So the eye is probably the absolute worst example, one of the best proofs of, of evolution that there are. You can yeah. find a sea slugs at the bottom of the ocean that have these very primitive little, you almost don't even call them eyes, but they're, they're sensitive well, here's, to light. Here's what so, Darwin so, said. About my, uh, Dan, here's what Darwin said about this. He said in Origin of Species, he said, to suppose that the eye, with all of its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration could have formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree possible. Even Darwin admitted that this doesn't that this doesn't, doesn't fit his pattern. No, you, no, you're you're totally misunderstanding Darwin. Darwin gave that sentence that you quoted, and if you will read on, he says this is the perfect example of showing how evolution in fact does work. Danny, there. Yeah seem absurd. It does seem absurd, and yet he used that example to go on to say, but look, we can explain this. And and not only since Darwin's time, but even in Darwin's time, he showed how the gradual accumulation of tiny advances over time can produce something like an eye. He was not a skeptic about the eye. You're, mis- you're, you're misquoting his sentence by just reading that introductory paragraph and not reading the rest of what he wrote. Well, well, he, I, I would recommend also, that you read his book. He also said... If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would obviously break down. Yes, exactly, and that's a good point. That's one of the falsifiable points and proofs of evolution. Give us an example of an irreducibly complex. He said if one existed, that would falsify his theory. I think, I think so there. Far, I think there are unlimited numbers of things. Give me an example. Give me an example. I think, I think the eye is an example of that. I just showed you. I just explained to you how the eye is the opposite of an example. Don't you understand how there are many simpler eyes and more complex eyes across? I understand fact, the human that. Eye, the human eye is a very poorly designed eye. The human eye is designed with the retina backwards, and there, there's a blind spot that's caused. Like, you know, it's like having a video camera with all the wires out in front. Squid and octopus actually have a better designed eye than humans where the retina are facing the right way, which means that if there is a God, he must like octopuses better than human beings. The eye, I, please listen carefully, the eye is not an example against evolution. It is a proof of evolution because of this continuous uh, continuum of gradations. Uh, but you've never, explained, you've never explained how that, that got started, how that process got started. Of course I did. Let me go back and explain it again. There are all very simple, light-sensitive pigments on their skin, which confers an advantage to that organism because it is able to detect a predator or find food, and their offspring are more likely to survive than those that don't have it. And then that pigmentation 
becomes even into more light-gathering uh, oval shapes, and there are organisms that have that simpler type of an eye. If you look across nature, you find a cross-section of from simple to medium to complex, and the human eye is not at the top of that chain, by the way. Uh, if God designed human beings, he did a very sloppy job of it with our eyes. I don't, I don't agree with that. All I right. believe what the Bible says, we're fearfully and marvelously made. But l- let us ask you one last question. We've got a call uh, from Louisville. Marcus in Louisville's got a question for Dan. Marcus, go ahead. Okay, yeah. Uh, Dan, I believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ confirmed the death of God. Uh, my question to you is this. Uh, if Jesus Christ did rose from the grave in a physical sense, what does that mean for you? Thank you, Marcus. Did you catch yeah, that, then? I used to preach that sermon, and I used to believe it, but now I do debates showing that, that Jesus did not rise from the dead. That, that is, that's, that's probably the most contradictory part of the entire Bible, and I have some writings online that show the legendary growth of that mythological story. And it, it, For example, here's one small part of the proof that Jesus did not rise from the dead. You take all the five different stories in the New Testament about the resurrection of Jesus, and try to write a coherent narrative of what happened without omitting a single detail. No one has done it. It can't be done. The gospel writers trip over themselves in, in you know, whether the stone was there before the women arrived or, or how many women. There are, there's about 30 different contradictory uh, aspects of the resurrection story that make it highly suspect. I disagree. It, it, I disagree it, with that. I'd be glad, we'd be glad maybe sometime in the future to have a program where we just discuss the proofs of the resurrection. I think they're overwhelming. But let me ask no, you a final it's not question. Overwhelming. It is not overwhelming. Look, you guys have been misled and you haven't been doing your homework. The resurrection is a poor example of the proof of the Bible. Let, let me ask you one parting question, Dan. You, you were formerly a preacher. Yes. You're not now. Was there well, a yes, single? I, I, well, I have a better gospel. Well, you 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 don't preach God anymore. What, what was it? Was there a single thing that changed your mind that 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 uh, took you across to the other side? What was there? One thing or one particular thing that uh, made you decide that what you'd been believing wasn't so, or no, was it, it a was compilation of things? It was a it was a gradual cumulative process, and I didn't go across to the other side. I basically grew up. It'd be like asking you, when did you cross over from belief in Santa Claus? You eventually have to grow out of the childish delusions of religious teaching and get above that. And so it was was a process of kind of like maturing and intellectual growth and honesty. I came to a point where I had to decide, do I want truth or do I want God? Because you can't have both. Well, Dan, we'd obviously disagree with that conclusion, but we appreciate your willingness to come on the virtual Bible study with us tonight and talk about our differences, and we appreciate your point of view, appreciate you've been willing to share it with us. We obviously disagree, but we do appreciate the time you spent with us tonight on the virtual Bible study. Well, I want to say I appreciate your cordiality and your openness, and I I wish there were more believers like you that were open to discussing points of view, because we both can learn from this, not just me, but you too can also learn some things about your own faith by talking with someone who's been there and who's examined it and who's discarded it. Thank you, Dan, for your time tonight and for being a part of the program. Thank you. All Bye. Right. Thank you. All right. Well, there's Dan Barker. What about uh, your thoughts on the on Dan's comments? Uh, we'll open up the phones now to you and to your emails. The number to call is 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. To add your initial thoughts. Well, I, it, pretty much as I expected. I, I mean, we didn't we didn't have any illusion that we we're going to convert one another in the, in the process of four, well, almost forty five minutes worth of discussion. But it, it, and and a lot of the arguments that were stated were 
the typical ones from Dan's point of view and from our point of view, but I, I don't think, I don't think he had the answers. I, you know, the question of where did we come from, for instance, I don't think we got the answer to that. Uh, well, joining us in the studio, been listening to the debate uh, tonight. Anthony Petrochko is here. He's a member of the College U Church of Christ. Anthony, uh, any thoughts as you sat on the sidelines listening tonight? Well, um, yeah, I mean, it is very interesting discussion. And I, I think, you know, Dan obviously is a well-read person and has given this a lot of thought, but I agree with Greg. I mean, there comes to a point where you have to explain how human life got to where it is. And, and I have the same issues with the theory of evolution. And, you know, Dan talked about how there were all these various levels of complexity, for example, of the eye. But, um, you know, if, if a simple primitive eye were sufficient, why would, why would we have ever evolved beyond that? That's kind of where I get stuck. And, you know, I heard it's funny. I actually have a degree in biology. I, I'm, I'm not going to say much more than that. I don't, I don't, I don't use it, but I, I say that to say that I went through, you know, the courses in college that, of course, taught evolution and, and the whole idea about uh, how God designed, a, you know, didn't do a very good job designing the human eye is the thing that I've heard, you know, that uh, he, he why did he put the blood vessels in front of the in front of the eye and all of this stuff? But it, it obviously serves us just fine. Yeah, it works. It <laughs> we works. don't need to read it. We don't need to be like a hawk and be able to read a newspaper well, from if, a mile away. If if evolution was true, why aren't we evolving past that? If it's a bad design, why are we stuck where we are? I, and right. I suppose the evolutionists would say, well, we're not. And right. in time, we will change. We just need a few billion years. Yeah. Hey guys, let's take a break and come back, and we'll finish up the hour talking about uh, the discussion with Dan Barker. If you have any thoughts about what you heard, we'd like to hear them now on the phone at 877-381-4567. That's toll-free. We'll pay the bill. Give us a call or send us your emails to questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guys. And you're back on the virtual Bible study tonight as we talk about the evidence for the existence of God. We just concluded an interview with Dan Barker, who uh, has his own uh, radio program on Air America. 
Free Thought Radio on Air America. And, uh, you know, as we look at uh, the evidence for the existence of God, uh, there just really is overwhelming evidence that shows that there must be a creator to the complex world that we live in. I think, you know, the, the, the statement that is being disputed is design demands the designer. It's been debated in even in courts about the doctrine of intelligent design. But it's just hard for me to think that a logical person would look at the complexity of life on Earth or even specifically the complexity of the human body and say, I just think that happened. I just think that happened by chance. You know, to me, that's just too incredible. It's it to me. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people I know have said this. It would take more faith to believe in evolution than to believe in God. I think it's easier to believe in God than to believe in evolution. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, Dan talked about, um, you know, that reason and, you know, seemed to kind of refute the idea that, that we hold that that common sense would bear out that this world is too complex to have simply happened by chance. But he sort of takes the other view that, you know, but I think, you know, if, if you read all of the stuff that he's read and you fill your mind with all of these so-called scientific thoughts and so forth, it would take all of that extra information to, to come to the conclusion. But if you just came at, at looked at the world, you know, without any outside influences, I don't see how you can. What you're saying is you really have to try right, to be right, an atheist right. in, the, in the world. I mean, but if you have, if you can look outside and you can observe what the world we live in, you really have to try to discount that there could be a God when yeah. you examine that. I mean, evidence. I think so. Yeah, I think so, too. Let me work in an email we've got from James up in Somerset, Kentucky. He says, if there is no God, what is the explanation of objective moral values? And, of course, we tried to to question him about this. Uh, James goes on to say, we, uh, we cannot simply say that we have chosen to consider moral the things that best suit our society because that's not always the case. Further, we all recognize that certain things such as sacrificing oneself for the benefit of another is recognized as good. There can be no ev- evolutionary explanation for that. However, as Mr. Barker is no doubt aware, objective moral values such as, uh, such as it's wrong to torture a child for fun those kind of objective moral values do exist. If they do exist, there must be some objective standard. If there's an objective standard, there must be a standard giver. You can probably guess where we're going with this. Objective moral values do prove that God exists. Then he goes on to, to say, uh, the, he says another problem for, uh, atheists and evolutionists is the supposed eternality of matter. In our time-faced existence, it's impossible for actual infinities to exist. So no matter how long you go back into the past, you're adding a succession of moments or years. The point is that no matter how far back you go, you're going back in a finite period of time. The evolutionists admit, must admit that, one, at some point matter came from nothing, or two, matter is eternal. If you admit something came from nothing, you're making a huge leap of faith. And if you say matter is eternal, shouldn't we have already had this conversation an eternity ago? All right. Thank well, you, James. Thank you, Jim, for uh, listening tonight. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com are the ways you can participate in the program tonight. As we look at uh, evidence for the existence of God, we want to go to Chris in Lewisburg, Tennessee. Chris, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you. Thanks for having me uh, on. Um, I listen, I just wanted to uh, say some things about your discussion. And uh, I first of all commend uh, both, uh, both of you for how you handled uh, the, uh, the opponent on this occasion. Um, I thought that, as, as uh, Anthony said, he was well-read, but 
really when it comes down to it, he didn't have much soap, especially on the question of how we got here and whether or not matter was eternal and all of that sort of thing. But concerning the idea of whether or not uh, we can reason that there is a creator on the basis of uh, since there is design, there must be a designer, uh, we would think maybe about walking past a house. Perhaps the house has been here. Perhaps it's an antebellum home that's been here for uh, a century or better. Uh, you know, something like that. And and no one would walk by that house and assume that there was not someone who designed it. Even though you didn't see the designer, uh, no one could assume that with any reasonable thought. Uh, he also uh, he also talked about the idea of there being, uh, you guys were arguing in black and white, but there really was no black and white, there was just gray. I find that to be somewhat of a black and white argument. Chris, he, 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 he couldn't even definitely define what, it meant to be alive. Oh, yeah, that, that's right. Absolutely, uh, and he and he uh, uh, completely observed the Passover on that uh, question. It's almost like questions. it all. It, it sort of it's sort of that old statement. Uh, it all depends on what you mean by is. What is is. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but listen, I just thought you guys did a fantastic job, and uh, I realized that uh, uh, you know time. Uh, time permitted you uh, to uh, discuss only what you had. There were the other points he wanted to get into uh, to discredit the teaching of Scripture that, uh, like you say, uh, perhaps could be handled at a, at a later time. But um, I, I just I just find it interesting that he's willing to he's willing to accept design uh, being designed uh, when it comes to a home or something like that. But if it relates to this world, uh, there's just no way that it being perfectly positioned away from the sun so that it doesn't burn up or freeze, uh, that that just suddenly happened with no real explanation. And just, being, just pure chance, pure chance. Yeah, and, and being really unwilling to talk about what happened before that. Yeah. You know, he, he really did not want to get into that discussion and called it irrelevant, really. Uh, you know, that it's, it doesn't matter what happened before that. What matters is it happened, you know, when, when this happened, here is time and all that sort of thing. One other thing about evolution um, I'm, I'm certainly not a scientist, but you, you think about the, the woodpecker, and I've done some some study on the woodpecker, and there, at, at between its bill and its uh, and its head, there is somewhat of a protective uh, device, so to speak, that keeps its brains from being mush after it does its uh, job on the wood. Uh, if evolution was so, you would wonder how that woodpecker didn't just completely die out through Be- the ages. before he evolved that shock absorber. <laughs> Absolutely. That's that's the idea. That's this question of irreducible complexity, and I think it is a, a really difficult thing for them to try and explain away. But thanks for your comments, Chris. We appreciate it, buddy. Thank you for your stance for truth, guys. Thank you, Chris. 877-381-4567. Give us a call now. That line is open. Or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We got an email from Chris in Lexington, Tennessee, who says both sides of the argument have their foundation in, at their foundation faith. The reason Mr. Barker could not answer the question of how we got here is because he does not know. He has to accept his beliefs by faith. We all have to look at the evidence that we have and make a decision based on faith as to what seems to be the most logical for us. The choice may sound trivial, but eternity hangs in the balance. Psalms 14 verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. That's what God said. That's not yeah. what we said, but uh, we have to agree when we look at the world around us that it certainly is foolish not to believe there is a God by just looking at the complexity of the uh, world that we live in. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Time to get your emails or your we, calls. We're getting several emails, and we may not get to them all in in, in our uh, amount of time that we have. Uh, 
let's see here. Uh, we get, got some longer ones. Uh, 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 let's see here. This one comes from Nathan, and it says uh, concerning the kinds of atheists, influence of scholars. A lot of these people never fully accept the consequences of their accepted atheistic philosophy. Without God, there's no longer any moral responsibility. One can no longer say, I ought to do this or, or that, for there's no longer any real basis for an I ought. There is no criteria of moral responsibility. It was blasted into oblivion by their newly accepted unbelief. Atheism precludes moral responsibility. But actually, uh, these atheists, fortunately, never live by the logical deductions of this theory of unbelief. They go right on living according to the moral code they learn from the scriptures, yet they profess not to believe. That's the, the thing. He says that, he, that the moral code that he lives by evolved, Anthony, that it, it, it sort of developed mm-hmm. over time. And uh, they, they developed it apart from, from the Bible, apart from religion, apart from God. Uh, certainly something that they can't prove. Yeah, I kind of had a, I mean, I was trying to kind of follow his argument there. And, you know, we do see, um, you know, evidence of altruism among certain kinds of animals and so forth and so on. But, and he tried to, you know, he talked about, um, you know, Greg was saying, well, yeah, I would take care of my own, but he couldn't really, I I didn't see him explain what would cause me to want to take care of you, Jacob. You're not related to me. Um, why would I want, if we're in a survival of the fittest kind of world, I would want to kill you. (laughs) I would want my genetic code passed on and not yours. Um, so I don't, I don't feel like he could explain, you know, and he said that his morality was do no harm, but where do you get that? Yeah. Where do you get that from? You would have to have a, a, a conference of atheists and, and all get together and vote and say, what's our moral code going to be? And, and well, yeah, that, that too. And then if once we decide on harm, how are we going to decide what harm is? we got to have another conference. But he, actually said, but he said this morality is an evolved thing, that we've evolved to a point of having. But that actually is counter to the uh, – I was trying to get him to recognize that that would be counter to the progress of morality of, – of, of progress of the human race. If if there's a weak one, as you said, Anthony, we should not want his genetic code preserved. We should want to annihilate him. We we should, and we, why would we care to take care of him? We certainly wouldn't want to go to any extreme to care for him. We'd want that to die off in the survival right. of the fittest. We, you don't. If what he said is true, then the evolutionary process that he believes in has come to a grinding halt because we're not following its its uh, rule book. Right. And, and, you know, for every example, you know, just came to my mind, every example of altruism or, or helping others. And, you know, there's an example of like, sorry to, to get a little scientific here, but uh, the brown headed cowbird, uh, I believe I've got that right. We'll, we'll go and push out the eggs. They'll go invade a nest uh, of another species, push out the eggs, and lay its own eggs in that nest and fool the other bird into raising its young. How is that? <laughs> How is that? For? I don't, it doesn't I fit, don't does get it. It doesn't no. fit. We got an email from Mike in Columbia. He said, Dan mentioned a computer program tonight. Would he believe that a computer program does not need a programmer? Uh, he shouldn't. Logically, he shouldn't, but maybe he would. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Tom in Columbia, Tennessee, has sent in several quotes, and uh, uh, I, I, we don't have time I think to get to refer to the danger of humanism, which yeah. I believe uh, Dan would be a humanist as well. Yeah, and 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 Tom asked that question. You know, is is he is he also a humanist? And and I think that certainly he must be. And then he's got just just a ton of quotes. I can't get to them all. I'm talking about the dangers of that. We're about to run out of time. Uh, we ought to quickly. Uh, 
review what the virtual Bible study is all about. We may have some new listeners tonight. Hopefully we do. And, uh, Dad, let's talk about the virtual Bible study because we hope that some of these new listeners will be back next week to join in on the discussion. Every every Thursday night we get together on the Internet to talk about important biblical and spiritual things on the virtual Bible study. We encourage people to listen and participate by way of phone calls and emails. And uh, we hope that if you're a new listener tonight, if you found us for the first time, you'll bookmark our site and uh, and make a note on your calendar to join us on Thursday nights at this time for the virtual Bible study. We do believe there's an absolute standard. We believe that absolute standard is the Word of God, Dad. We're not left around fumbling around to find out what God wants from us. He has told us in His Word. And so we go to the Bible and we study it. We study it alone. We don't study any creeds or we don't look at our opinions. We look at what God said and we try to learn from it so that we can apply in our lives. Exactly right. Our apologies tonight, by the way, to some who sent in emails and we didn't get to them all, but uh, thanks for participating in the Verge Bible Study. All right. We want to thank Dan Barker again for being a part of the program, and Anthony, thank you for coming tonight. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. It was interesting. All right. We thank you for joining us on the Virtual Bible Study, and we do hope you'll be back next week as we uh, go to the pages of God's Word again to find out what he has revealed for us within the pages of the Bible. We hope you'll tell a friend about the virtual Bible study and that you'll be back next week for another edition. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.